thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. We want to just take a minute and create space like we do every week for God to speak to us individually, for we kind of, he speaks to all of us corporately. So I want you to just listen to a word or a phrase, see what stands out for you, and then use that as a jumping off point in prayer. Say, God, why are you highlighting this word? Why are you highlighting this phrase? So it's been a stressful week. People have been crossing the globe back and forth. There's exams. It's cold. Uh, it's February. So we just want to take a minute and shake off the stress, shake off the anxiety, shake off any physical pain or worry. So I invite you to just close your eyes and take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of any fear, worry, anxiety, or pain that you carried in with you tonight. So, Father, speak to us through your word. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. So, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So speak to us in the silence, Father. What do you want to say to us this evening? Well, it's good to be together again. It's great to have Darif back from his travels. Um, after, be back from after the Super Bowl and the Patriots crushing victory again. We're all a little devastated on the inside. Um, <laughs> but if you remember pre-Super Bowl, um, we talked about Jesus being chosen and selected. So we did the first chapter of Mark. Um, 
and we we all kind of fixated on that scene of the dove descending from heaven and God's voice declaring, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And we talked about how significant and meaningful and affirming that is. And so we've got to remember that up until this point, Mark doesn't suggest that Jesus has had any active ministry. So up until that point where the dove descends and God's voice breaks through the heavens, Jesus has done no public ministry, no preaching, no teaching, no healing. Um, He's no restoring. He hasn't gathered any followers. He hasn't stirred up any controversies. He's just an ordinary guy up until that point. But then after that baptism scene everything changes. So the whole rest of the first chapter of Mark is just Jesus taking off full speed ahead into his ministry career. No training, no internship, no probationary period. Jesus just goes full steam into a fast-paced, non-stop ministry career. And um, so throughout the second half of chapter 1 in Mark's gospel, he's traveling throughout the area, throughout kind of the region of Galilee. He's preaching and he's healing and he's casting out demons. And the biblical editors are kind of pretty pragmatic folks. So there's a whole section that's just titled, Jesus Heals Many. They just cut right to the point to capture what he's doing. He's healing, he's teaching, and people are flocking to him. People have heard that he is a dynamic teacher, that he's working some kinds of miracles. So they want to know, who is this guy? We, if we have a need, if we want to learn, we've got to find this guy. We've got to come to this guy. So the very last verse in chapter 1 says that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So that kind of points to what Tiffany said. Like He shows up at this house. He's not necessarily preparing to teach or heal but the people just come Um, he almost can't keep them away and they're not necessarily becoming because they think he's the messiah so that is not necessarily on their radar yet but that he is an amazing teacher he's an incredible healer there's something different about him there's something special about him kind of like the prophets of old like an elijah or an elisha there's something special about this jesus and so that brings us into this today's passage the where Jesus is now not just a healer, but now we begin to see he's something more. There begins the kind of the mystery begins to unfold. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a healer. There's something more about him. And people are coming with expectation for healing, and he's surpassing their expectation. He's giving them more than they asked for, even though it's not necessarily what they're expecting. Um, and this is so this is amazing, overwhelming, exciting to some people. And as we saw, infuriating to others, horrifying, upsetting, controversial. Because Jesus is always controversial. And so because Jesus is doing more, he's more compassionate, he's more powerful, he's more concerned with things that people don't see rather than just the obvious, um, he's also stirring up these controversies. So people are coming to him with expectation and they're they're getting a surprise they can expect to be surprised and this scene is kind of breaks down nicely into three parts like so it's like a little three-act play in the middle of the gospel which warms my little literary heart um so there's kind of this introductory scene um of the forgiveness and then so we see the tension mounting there's this forgiveness scene then the kind of the denouement is the scandal where he says that everyone sees him and saying like who is this guy what is he doing and then oddly enough what you'd think would be the high point the healing it's kind of the closing resolution kind of wrapping everything up so first we want to kind of get in our head the opening scene the forgiveness so this is kind of the, the setting the stage 
And it's important just for a little bit of context that homes in Capernaum are small. So archaeologists who have excavated them suspect they're about 16 feet by 16 feet, which is 256 or 250 square feet. I did the math. So just as a frame of reference, this room is 740 square feet. So picture like a third of this room is what a home is. And this is like an average standard home. So for it to be crowded, it doesn't take that many people. And so it's not shocking that it's so crowded that no one can get to Jesus. Just picture a third of this room. And it's kind of standard practice that because the homes are so small, they kind of have rooftop kind of rooftop decks, rooftop party areas on the top. So there's a staircase that will go from the ground level up onto the roof. So it's not uncommon to be on the roof of these homes. That's like extra space. Um, So there's this this staircase that leads to the roof, and the roof is pretty solid, mud and thatch, and pretty pretty secure, pretty solid, but clearly not, um, not unbreakable. So Jesus has been traveling the countryside. He's probably tired. He's probably not necessarily here to preach or heal, but always willing. When he sees a need, Jesus never, uh, Jesus doesn't refuse. So he's healing. And then as many people as possible have crammed into this house, trying to get as close to him as they physically possibly can, trying to get what they need, trying to get what's broken fixed. So just as a thought exercise, I want you to picture you for, for your second that you're one of these people. So we're in a third of a room. It, you, are, you have a desperate need. There's something that you're longing for. There's something that you're needing. There's something that is broken in you. Um, and you are coming to Jesus expectantly for healing, for transformation, for hope. And just think in your mind. You can write this down in your, in your um, notes. Or you can just think it in your mind. What is the problem, the hurt, the hope, the need that you want Jesus to transform? Thinking about your own context today, your own circumstances, what are you coming to Jesus saying, make this better? And I want you to just keep this need in your mind as we go. So as we go through the scene, just keep in the front of your mind, in the back of your mind, this need that you personally, presently have, something that you need from Jesus. Um, Because just like everyone in the scene, you are expectant. You are expecting Jesus to intercede on your behalf. You are expecting Jesus to help. Um, And these people aren't just expectant. They are desperate. The four men with a paralytic friend are not just hoping that Jesus will help them. They are desperate for a change in their situation. They will do anything. And we don't, we don't get that many details about this story. Um, we don't know how long the man has been p- paralyzed. We don't know what caused his paralysis. We don't know how he survives. There's no safety net in this society. There's no home where he can live. I mean, he's begging. He's homeless, probably, or he has some friends that are caring for him. But all we know is he has these four friends who will go to extreme lengths to get him to Jesus because they believe with their whole hearts that there's something that Jesus can do for their friend. So all we really know is that his friends are desperate for Jesus. 
And we also know that they're, they're pretty creative. I mean, it doesn't occur to just anyone to climb up on the roof and dig a hole through the thatch. No one else seems to think of it. Um, so they climb up the roof, they dig the hole, and I want you to just think, try to picture, you've got your need, you're in the room, it's crowded, it's, breath, it's breathless, it's overheated, there's, everyone's kind of elbowing you, trying to get closer to Jesus, and then all of a sudden there's like this weird noise in the roof, and like little pieces of mud and thatch are falling down, and it's, you're not sure what's happening, is the house collapsing, like what the heck is going on? And then you have this tension, like, are you going to stay where you are? Are you going to fight for your spot? Or are you going to run for your life and get out of this, like, collapsing house? And this is really, this is really a moment where you've got to think about, like, is it better to be near Jesus when the roof collapses? Or is it better to be, like, heading for the high country? Um, and so I just like to picture, like, all of a sudden, all this room, everyone's sort of, like, getting worried what's happening, what's going on. There's suddenly, like, this flash of sunlight through the roof, an unexpected skylight. And then all of a sudden, this guy is just coming down, descending from the ceiling. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy scene, if you can imagine it. And this is not scriptural at all, but I like to pretend Jesus kind of, like, giving the guys a high five, a thumbs up, being like, well done. I did not expect this, but well done. You guys, you have surpassed even my expectations with your faith and with your ingenuity. And that's the reason he says that he gives the forgiveness, because of your faith, um, because that you did not give up, because you believed so surely, you were so expectant. Um, and these guys think they've done it. They've like they've overcome every obstacle. They think they've cut to the front of the line, gotten their friend to the feet of Jesus. Their work is done. Like they have really just done an amazing thing. So they kind of they surprise Jesus, and then also Jesus surprises them. He doesn't say to the, the man who they've just lowered through the roof, "You're healed. Get up. Walk." Everything is okay now. It was all worth it. He says something sort of strange. Son, your sins are forgiven. So in Jewish tradition, illness and affliction are often linked to sins. So if something bad has happened to you or something bad has happened to someone in your family, it's, it was generally assumed that you did something bad. So it was cause and effect. So you're being punished for sinning against God in some way, or someone in your family has sinned against God and you're being punished for it. But we don't know anything about this poor paralyzed man. We don't, there's not necessarily, in other healing narratives, it's made clear that there's been some sin issue or there's some generational sin issue, but we know nothing about what caused this man's paralysis. So it's probably sort of a strange response. And there's also another important thing to keep in mind that in Jewish tradition, in Jewish culture, the only one who can forgive sins is God. So they're probably thinking the crowds, the man, the four friends on the roof, who the heck is this preacher, this teacher, who can declare, son, your sins are forgiven? Like, what is this guy thinking? It would have been utterly dumbfounding for everyone in earshot. So they're coming to Jesus expecting healing, expecting that he will meet the physical, obvious, right in front of them needs. And, but he has more for them. He has forgiveness. He has spiritual healing. He has emotional healing. He has a deeper healing than even they're expecting. So we, when we come to Jesus expectant, we can often expect to be surprised. 
Because often Jesus is going to do something more, something deeper, something different. Meet a need that we maybe didn't even realize we had. Meet the underlying, undergirding need um, that we're desperately seeking, sometimes when we don't even know it. So when we come to Jesus with expectation, we can expect to be surprised. The, the paralytic is surprised. His friends are surprised. The crowd is surprised. And that brings us to this kind of second scene, the height of the tension, the scandal. Because some people aren't just surprised by Jesus' words, like, hey, that's an interesting thing to say. Um, they're probably a little disappointed. Because these guys on the roof, they broke their backs. They carried a guy on a mat up onto a roof. They dug a hole. They lowered him down. And they think, we've done it. But then Jesus doesn't do what they're expecting him to do. They've done everything. They've, they've put the faith in. And Jesus doesn't do what they're expecting him to do. Their friend is still paralyzed. As far as we know, the friend doesn't get up and walk away. So I want you to think back again to the thing you're seeking, the thing you're coming to Jesus expectantly for. And think about it for yourself. Have you ever had Jesus answer prayer differently than you expected? Have you asked for one thing, one very specific need that you felt was really pressing? But then he addressed something else. He did something different than what you thought. And if you can remember that, try to remember how did it feel. Maybe now it feels good. From hindsight, you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You were right. He was a loser. That job was a bad fit. This situation would never have been good for me. But in the moment, how did you feel? How did you respond? Can you resonate at all with kind of the disappointment of the paralyzed man and his friends? But this scene isn't really primarily about disappointment. The disappointment of the paralyzed man who doesn't realize what the gift that Jesus has given him. Because he's too busy looking for something else. He's too busy thinking about something else. It's really about the teachers of the law. The scribes and the Pharisees who are totally and utterly scandalized. So up until now, Jesus hasn't done anything too controversial like we talked about. He really hadn't done much of anything. He's been teaching. He's been traveling. He's been preaching. Um, But now... He has publicly identified himself or aligned himself with God. Aligned himself as the son of God. Um, And so this is the beginning of the conflict with Jewish leaders that will ultimately climax in his death. So the scribes and the Pharisees are curious about Jesus the healer. So they probably come because they've heard about this guy. They're curious. They want to know what his deal is. But they are horrified by Jesus the forgiver. Um, and because as experts in Jewish law and religious traditions, they know that only God can forgive sins. So as God said to Isaiah in Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own name's sake and remembers your sin no more. So as is the Jewish tradition, as is the Old Testament law, only God forgives. So you make sacrifice, you bring, um, you bring repentance to the temple, but only God forgives. So such a claim to them is unthinkable. For Jesus to say, son, your sins are forgiven, that is tantamount to saying, I am God on earth. I am God. Um, I am the Messiah. And so they start to whisper about blasphemy. 
and blasphemy will be the charge that they eventually bring against him and leads him to crucifixion. But this is the first rumblings. This is the first whisperings. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? What the heck does he think he's doing? And because Jesus can save, forgive, heal, and read hearts, he knows exactly how scandalized and offended these men are. And he doesn't care. He really does not care. He didn't heal people to impress anyone, and he doesn't forgive people to please anyone. He's simply doing the work his father sent him to do. So he says to the crowd, but he says pretty specifically and pointedly to the the Pharisees and the scribes, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, a.k.a., I am the Messiah. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus is saying, forgiving sins is harder than healing. I did the harder thing. I forgave his sins. I didn't just heal him. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to heal him too. So you, you think I shouldn't, I'm not allowed to do this? Watch me do both things. And this is the first showdown between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, but it won't be the last. As we kind of move through Mark, we'll see again and again and again. He's bumping up against their rules. He's bumping up against their laws. He's bumping up against their expectations for him. So as almost an afterthought, he says, oh yeah, by the way, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the paralyzed man gets what he stands for. Act 3, scene 3, he stands up, walks away. People are amazed. And although Jesus didn't do what the man wanted him to do in exactly the timing that he, want, that he expected, we can see that Jesus did more. So he sent him away healed and forgiven, a new man from the inside out, right with God, right with the world, ready to start a new chapter in a way that just fixing his legs would never have done. Because just if we do a thought experiment, this man probably has years of anger and bitterness. If he's been paralyzed for a long time, there's a lot of internal work that needs to happen that he was not even thinking about. So the paralyzed man and his friends came to Jesus expectantly, and Jesus did so much more than they could have asked or imagined. He surpassed their expectations, but he did it in his own time and in his own way. Because like we said, Jesus can do more than we expect, and he might do them differently. Just because Jesus is more doesn't mean we always get what we want and more. What you think you really need may not be what you really need. You may be asking for one thing, but Jesus wants to do something else more important first. So this thing that's so important and so pressing to you may just be symptomatic of a deeper thing, a deeper healing, a deeper engagement with God that needs to happen in your heart and your life. So have you ever had Jesus meet a a different need than you were expecting? Maybe, And maybe you only realize later that, that he answered a prayer you didn't even know you were praying. Jesus, heal my heart. Jesus, help me to trust you. Jesus, help me to forgive. These are prayers that sometimes we don't even know we need to pray. And I was doing a guided prayer exercise once, and the prayer leader told me to just envision writing down all the things that I was worried about on slips of paper. And I would say this is, if you're struggling with anxiety or worry or feeling overwhelmed, this is a great prayer exercise. Just envision making a list of all the things that you're worried about, all the things that are weighing on you, 
I, I was worried about my job, my future, my finances, like pretty significant weighty worries. And then the prayer leader said, just envision, visualize giving these to Jesus. Just taking that list and giving, him, giving it to Jesus. Letting Jesus carry all these little worries, all these little anxieties. So I was being good good little prayer I did what they asked I said alright here's my list here Jesus here are all the things on little slips of paper that I'm worried about that I'm anxious about that are like, keeping me up at night and so I pictured Jesus to kind of scoop them all up and say all my promises are yes and amen I've got this don't worry about it I will take care of this um, but instead what I saw kind of in my visualization is as I handed him my pieces of paper he just kind of opened his hands and let them all fall to the floor. Didn't care about them, didn't pick them up, didn't read them, didn't pay attention to them. And I would say that was not the reassuring, encouraging, hopeful response I was looking for. And I was already plagued with questions of, can I really depend on him? Can I really trust him? Does he really care about me? And so to see him just drop all my worries on the ground was not exactly the kind of bonding with Jesus moment that I had been expecting and so at this point I wanted to be done with this prayer exercise I was like this is not going the way I wanted um, but I would say as a good rule of thumb when you are meditating when you are praying when you are trying to spend time with God when he does something or says something unexpected that's maybe not what you wanted to hear or not what you thought you would hear or not what you ever expected to hear you have to stay with him so that's not the moment to close the Bible, get up, off the, get up out of bed, leave the room, walk away. Um, that's the moment to really dig in. Because when Jesus says something unexpected, when Jesus does something unexpected, when you're praying and it goes in a different direction than you are expecting, you are, you are about to have a powerful encounter with God where he is going to do something different. He's going to go deeper. He's going to do more. And you don't want to walk away because you're ticked. Because it's not what you wanted, it's not what you expected, it's not what you asked for. That's the moment to dig in and hang on and see where Jesus is going to take you, to stick with it and see what's coming next. Um, So instead of just getting up and walking away, I kept praying. I pushed through and I sensed him just gesturing me towards him and saying that he wasn't worried about these things, that these pieces of paper were symptomatic. They weren't really the cause of my worry and my anxiety. Um, And I sensed that Jesus was saying that more important than these was that he wanted my heart. That he didn't want me to keep him at arm's length anymore. That he didn't want me to just use him like a cosmic Coke machine to say, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this. He wanted a deeper relationship with me. He wanted to push past my anger. He wanted to push past my disappointment. He wanted to be a friend and a confidant and a companion in a way that I had never let him be. Um... And so I wanted him to do all these things for me to make my life easier and better and just make me more secure. Um, and he wanted to do more. He wanted to heal my heart. So I came expectantly. I came expecting Jesus to make things better. Um, but Jesus surprised me. He surprised me with more than I expected, with more than I knew I needed, with more than I knew that I wanted. And I believe that this is often the case, that I am not alone in this. Um, That when we come to Jesus expectantly, we can expect to be surprised. We can expect that he is going to get right to the the root issue. He's going to go to the deep place. 
and he's going to address some things that we might not necessarily want to acknowledge um, but he knows that we need to he wants to go to the deep pain the deep place the real hurt so if you remember earlier I invited you to think of a need that you want Jesus to address so something in your present circumstance a pain, a hurt, a situation a desire, a hope that you want him to realize or transform or make happen and so now I want you to kind of hang on to that but invite him to do more than you are asking just give Jesus permission to do exactly what he needs to do to meet the underlying needs that you are not fully conscious of and so you can do that silently, quietly, mentally you can do that physically we've given you space to write out a prayer but in your own words and in your own way invite Jesus to surprise you with his goodness and his generosity and then listen to what he says so Father we come to you expectantly we come to you with our lists of needs and desires and hopes and wants with all our pieces of paper Father and we ask you to do more we invite you to do more we allow you to do more